Well, good morning and, and happy new year. Uh, this is the first Sunday of 2022. Um, and so today is Epiphany Sunday. It's when we normally look at the, the event of the wise men or the Magi uh, coming to, to Jesus. So we wanna look at Matthew chapter two and I'm gonna read verses one through 12. L listen as I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opened their treasures. They offered to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Dear Lord, just we praise you and thank you as always for the gift of your word and just ask that you be among us and I pray that all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a familiar, familiar story uh, for some of us. The story of the Magi is what the word is in the Greek, the Magi, who come uh, to, to worship and offer these gifts to Jesus, the Messiah, the King. Now, sometimes we kind of mesh this story in with Luke's story, and, and for the past four weeks, we've been looking at Luke, and uh, it is the, the story of, of, of Luke that gives us Mary's account, where it talks about the things that happen and Mary treasuring things in, in her heart. And the angel appears to Mary and Mary goes to Elizabeth and you know what had happened with Elizabeth, her family and John the Baptist and then the birth. You have the shepherds come and the announcement. We, we looked at that uh, last week and certainly Christmas Eve. We think about that story, it's the familiar one. But then we have this story in Matthew. And this is, you know, Jesus, most scholars, and the way it reads in the Greek, he, he's not a baby anymore. A, a little bit of time has passed, but he's still very young, uh, a young child. 
But also, it is Matthew, Matthew's gospel, who really gives a very brief account of the birth narrative, but it's, it's really from Joseph's perspective. You don't get the shepherds, you don't get the story, you get more Joseph's perspective. Joseph, what, what happens with Joseph? And you get this, this event of, of the Magi coming in. So you know me, as always, context is important. What, what Matthew is trying to say in the gospel and why the different gospel writers pick these events from the life of, life of Jesus, these historical moments, and they want to share these specific ones in this specific way led by the Holy Spirit is important to get what the message is. You know, they weren't, weren't written or offered you know, to be chopped up. So you have to be careful. You don't want to run to Luke's gospel to try to first interpret Matthew. You want to know what what is the message here? So we want to just think about that for a moment. And, and here, certainly, Matthew tells you right at the beginning that the message, the good news, is this is the Messiah, the son of David. And then he uses significant um, argument to support this idea of it being the Messiah, the son of David, from the descendants of David, the great king. We've said before, you know, kind of the reason David is dependent on one of the first kings, very tremendous faith, steps out, but he also messes up along the way. It's one of the things that makes David unique. He's a great king who kind of builds, builds the, 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 the nation, kind of builds Israel, but he also is humble, you know, does not take the throne from Saul. A lot of, a lot of stuff there. But as we said, he, he messes up. One of the things about David is that he's the only king that every time he's confronted with his sin, where he has failed, he repents. We've said before, repentance is, is the gift of the good news. We can just turn back to God. That's all that means. So Matthew really builds on this the descendant of David. He is the Messiah, fulfilling the Old Testament. And I won't go into all the ways because we, we can't preach all of the gospel of Matthew, but that's the idea. And then you get the birth narrative from the perspective of Joseph. That what happens in Matthew's gospel is you get that Joseph is, is visited by God in a dream. And what you're told is Joseph is a righteous man. That means, you know, everybody would have known him as a righteous man. Righteous Joseph is kind of how he's referred to before uh, Mary has the, has the baby becomes pregnant. But what happens is Mary has his, his betrothed. They are not married yet. They are not supposed to be making babies yet. Um, they're not married. But engaged, betrothed, they're at the final stages of kind of about to be married. But she comes up pregnant. And what it says is Joseph decides to divorce her because he's righteous. And what that means is, it's what you're told in the text, is he's righteous, but he wants to, to maintain his righteous standing in the community. Joseph needs to divorce her because it's not his kid. So he's going to divorce her, but he had the right to divorce her very publicly. It was a public event to kind of denouncing her and, and the child, and it's not his, and to, to maintain his righteousness. But Joseph chooses to divorce her quietly. Because he's a good man. 
He obviously cares about her. He doesn't want to disgrace her, so he decides to just divorce her. We'd still take divorce because they're at the betrothal stage. So he wants to send her away and, and, and get rid of her quietly so he can kind of move on with his life because she's, she's come up pregnant. But God comes to Joseph in a dream. And in this dream, let's, lets him know that he needs to name the baby, name this baby Jesus, name, name the child. And what that means in this culture, in this time, is he is to name the child, meaning he is to be the father. He is to say, I'm the father, give the child a name, take the role of the father, and you raise the child as yours. And God tells him in this dream that he needs, he's to do that because God is doing something amazing here. This is, this is a significant child and what is going to happen and, and that God is at work in the world and the Messiah is coming and, and he is to trust God, go on and marry her and name that child as his which is a big deal. You know, some of you heard me talk about this before, that it is a big deal. And it is a big deal in Matthew's gospel. Because see, prior to this, he's referred to as righteous Joseph. You know, the one thing you're told about him is he is a righteous man. He has done the right things by God. He wants to continue being a righteous man who does the right things, so he needs to divorce her quietly continue his righteousness, but God steps in and says, no, I, don't, I want you to trust me, and I want you to marry her, and I want you to say, it's your child. You name him, and you raise him as yours. What that means in the community is everybody would assume that's Joseph's baby, meaning they went about making babies before they were supposed to. That would affect his righteous standing in the community. And this is an honor-shame culture. This is an ancient oral honor-shame culture. So uh, something like that could bring tremendous shame. It could affect your business, your future. And you actually see that in, in Matthew's gospel. Because prior to the, the birth, it's righteous Joseph is how he's referred to. And in the first couple of chapters, he's mentioned as Joseph. But then as it goes on, by the time you get to, I believe it's about chapter 13, where Jesus is, is preaching in his hometown, the hometown refers to him and says, why should we listen to this guy? Isn't he that carpenter's boy? They don't even use Joseph's name. He's just that carpenter. You know that carpenter. And actually, they believe, most scholars, because Joseph's never mentioned as being present at anything at, when Jesus begins his ministry, so they believe Joseph has, has already died. And so he's died, and he's known as that carpenter. And that's a reason that they're not, they shouldn't listen to Jesus, because, you know, Jesus is that illegitimate boy of that carpenter, you know, that woman. That's how they were viewed. Joseph, Joseph loses his righteous standing. But, but one of the things I've said about Joseph before, 
maybe you've heard me mention it. You know, the, one of the beautiful pieces of that is he loses his righteous standing in the community, but he does what God tells him to do. He names Jesus. He claims him as his. You know, we all talk about, you know, we hope that we get to heaven or whatever heaven is or however that happens or eternal life. We want to hear, you know, God, we want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we hope. But Joseph happens to be the only man that has ever walked the face of the earth. That we'll hear Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, refer to him as daddy. And I believe Joseph's example had a profound effect on Jesus and raising Jesus. He put doing what God said to do above what it looked like, what it cost him. That all of that is a powerful story for Joseph. And so you get Joseph's perspective of the, the birth and what's happening. And then you get the story of these magi, these wise men stepping in. And there's a profound things that are going on in, in that that Matthew wants us to know. But, but one of the things that has kind of jumped out at me this, this year, reading the story and looking at it, is what this must have meant for Joseph. I hadn't thought about it before until this year, but you know, actually, this event, the, the wise man, because see, Joseph is never mentioned by the time Jesus, you know, is 30 and starts his ministry, Joseph is probably already dead. So Joseph doesn't get to see the miracles. Joseph doesn't get to see Jesus, you know, gather disciples. Joseph doesn't, is certainly not, doesn't have to see the crucifixion, which is devastating, but at the same time, doesn't get to participate and see the resurrection. That all of the promises and all of the stuff that, that Jesus is going to do, Joseph doesn't get to see it in his lifetime. That this event is actually... And in Matthew's gospel, for Joseph, the one moment that Joseph gets to see that God is up to something. Get to see what God is doing. It's kind of God stepping in, reminding us and reminding the world and reminding the church that Matthew is writing this to, a whole bunch of things. But one of the main things in the narrative is that this is the event that that Joseph gets to see that God is in it. God is in this. Because prior to this, you know, he, he kind of put everything on the line for a dream. Now, I don't know if you have dreams often. I often don't remember my dreams, but occasionally I do, and sometimes they are really, really odd. And then occasionally I've had dreams that I felt were from God, you know, occasionally. Did you think, you know, God has, has done something? Or sometimes you don't realize it's from God till later on, and you realize maybe it was God in a dream. God can work that way. I had a friend that was um, ministering in the, in the Middle East, and he was saying among people in the Middle East, one of the ways God was really working was in dreams, that people would come to him and, you know, tell us about this Jesus we had a dream about. That I, I do believe God can work in dreams, but I'll just be honest. Most of my dreams are odd. And even if I sensed God in it, it would be one piece among a lot of other things I would need in place, maybe, to, 
to put my whole life and everything at risk. But Joseph responds to this dream and does what God says. And it costs him greatly out of a dream. And then right after, and then you have this story of the, of the Magi, and then right after that, you have another dream that God speaks to Joseph in a dream and says, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to take Mary and, and Jesus, and I want you to flee to Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill him. I mean, he, he then changes everything, leaves everything behind, goes to Egypt, makes a tremendous life decision on a dream because God was in this dream. That's significant to me. And so, actually, in Matthew, the only moment, the only hint where he gets to see, well, God is really in it. God says, I'm really in it. This is something amazing happened. It's not, he didn't get to see the miracles, all the other stuff. Is this event of the Magi? of God saying, I'm in this, Joseph. Trust me. He doesn't get to see any of the, the other stuff, the things that Jesus does, the, the miracles. So this is the statement of God just giving him a glimpse that God is in it. It's worth it. So I want us to know that's kind of the question I come to this text with this morning. How does it let us know? How does it let John, Joseph know? God is, God is in this. And there's a multitude of other things that you can draw from this text, but that's kind of where I want to come to it this morning. What, is, what does this mean for Joseph, who, who, who surrenders everything, gives up all kinds of things, when God's speaking to him in a dream and doing the right thing? Well, so when we think about what is this saying, how is God in it, these magi coming, now, one, to think about who gets to come and worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, one, this is, this is not maybe that unusual in the ancient world where a king is born. That's what magi do. They were, they were kind of uh, prophets and astrologers and looking at the scar, sky and trying to see what's going on in the world and being a part of it. And they were well-educated. And that's kind of the, the idea they would go. And if they sensed a king was being born in an important area that they were around, they, they, they might go and acknowledge that and offer to that and share that. They were, they were educated and obviously kind of wealthy at seas here of what they could bring. But to where that is part of how Matthew wants us to know. That's one of the story is important that just like other kings acknowledge that David was the king of Israel would even come and acknowledge that that other people and others would acknowledge that that Jesus is king while the people around him didn't even see it while the nation of Israel didn't even see it these pagan because most likely their magi means kind of Persian astrologers, kind of these pagan outsiders are the ones who see it and come in and want to acknowledge that he is king. So the first thing, I think in letting us see 
how God is in this is the invitation. Is that these pagan outsiders get to come and they get to be the ones who worship at the feet of Jesus. That if you look in Scripture, you would think, yeah, that's kind of unexpected. You know, you, you hear me talk about it, that's often a point in one of my sermons, the unexpectedness of God, because you just, you just can't put God in a box. But when we read this story, when we hear it, we need to know God, God is at work in the world. God is in this. God is doing something always. If we would just be faithful and be open to it. And one of the ways we can know that is his grace always goes first. There's always the beginning is the point of invitation, no matter who you are, where you're from, these pagan outsiders. If they're just open and want to seek him, they get to see and find the Messiah. Now, it doesn't mean they, you know, Christians and believers, the rest are, I don't know. But they get to come and to surrender and to worship at the feet of Jesus, to, to humble themselves and to offer something. And what does that speak? What did, what did that speak to Matthew's community he's writing this to? Is no matter who you are, no matter what you feel, no matter when you feel like, do I measure up? Do I fail and fall short? Do I, do I not understand? Well, as we said before, you're in pretty good company. The disciples half the time don't understand and mess up along the way. But this idea that it, God's grace goes first, it's always an invitation to anyone, is a biblical principle. <laughs> From beginning to end, even the fact that this is a, Jesus comes from the line of David, the same tribe that David came from. David is a, certainly an illustration of that. In the Old Testament, when Samuel is told, you know, go to the house of Jesse, that's going to be the new king. Saul is the current king, but there's going to be a new king because Saul has kind of rejected God at this point. And Samuel, the prophet, goes and goes to Jesse and says, you know, let me see your sons. Do you have sons? And he kind of brings his sons out one at a time. And, you know, the one that everyone would think, the strong, oldest one, isn't the one God chooses. And he keeps going down the line and isn't the one until Samuel finally says, well, do you have any more? And David's own father doesn't even use his name. He just says, well, there's, there's that young ruddy one that's out, in the, you know, he's out in the field. You know, we got him keeping the sheep. You know, he's not the one you'd want. And his own dad didn't see it in him. Samuel says, bring him, and that's the one that gets anointed. He's David. And it's the unexpectedness of his whole life. But you see that run throughout the whole Bible. It started with Abraham. It goes on with Moses. You see it here with David. It goes on with the future prophets and how God works and who God chooses. He said one of the major principles in Scripture is we don't pick very well because God opens it. His grace and invitation. And you see that all over the rest of Matthew's gospel with the other gospel writers. Whether you are a religious Jew, one of the scribes and Pharisees, 
We get an invitation. Some of them accept that invitation. A lot of them don't. Or whether you're a Roman centurion who's a Gentile from Rome, you see that invitation offered. Whether you're a tax collector, whether you're a blind beggar, whether, I mean, the list goes on and whether you're a fisherman, whether you're the woman at the well, whether you're someone who's a tax collector who is a cheat and a liar, or whether you're like even into Acts, Saul, who is out of zealousness, is a murderer and a killer of Christians. I mean, you could just read scripture and it goes on and on. These unexpected moments to where this is one of the ways God is telling Joseph, I'm in this. Because see, this is how I work. This is unexpected. These are, what does that speak to us? Well, there's moments. Moments in all of our lives where we feel like we don't measure up. Maybe you feel like you have uh, sinned too much or you're too uh, unworthy. Or maybe you, 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 you've got too much or you're too full of your own self and you, you know everything and uh, feel like you don't even need God. It doesn't matter where you come from. What you've done. You, you can think about, I, again, take countless people I have worked with and known that they may sit in pews every week but think this really isn't for me. I come, but, you know, they remember that past sin or that past thing or they think about their own thought life or their own internal struggles and stuff and think, I just don't measure up. I'm just going to tell you that's a lie. God's grace and invitation always goes first. When we read this story of the Magi, that is what God is speaking, and especially to Joseph. Because I bet when Joseph loses everything and Jesus is about to, I mean, God's about to show up in a dream saying, I need you to go to Egypt, he's going to wonder, eh, is that really? This is an odd story. This is not, I'm not the one who should probably be the one doing this. But here, God is letting him know a glimpse into the way God is working and how he can know God is in this. As these unexpected individuals get to be the ones to worship and seek Jesus. Well, I want us to remember that. I want you to remember that, especially going into this new year. There will be moments that you will feel like are great and God's will work, and there will be moments you feel like, ah, oh, Maybe I've messed up to the point. That is why we're given the gift of repentance, surrender. Because you can't mess up. You can't out God's grace. He always wants you, loves you. Well, then the second thing is how you can know God is in this, that God is maybe letting Joseph know yeah, this is, this is what happens. This is what's going to happen to you, Joseph. It's what's going on. It's what goes on in the world. Is this idea, you know, the Magi, which as I said, would have come to a, you know, if they got the idea there's going to be a new king, of course they would go to the palace 
of the current king. And so they go to Herod, thinking it must be one of Herod's kids that have been born or somebody he's adopted or something that's happened because he's going to be king. Well, Herod doesn't have a clue. As we said before, Herod's kind of a political appointee. But this is another way that we can see God is in this. Letting Joseph know God is in this, you know, because he's about to have to flee to Egypt because of Herod. It's something you see all over Scripture. I want you to hear me on this. Well, God never enters in initially. As I said, God's grace always goes first. You see that from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. I don't have time to preach the entire Bible to you, but God's grace and invitation always go first. God doesn't initially step in in order to be threatening. Jesus never steps in. I mean, he starts off as an innocent baby put in a manger. By this point, he's a little kid. Not very threatening. Doesn't have much to his name. Unexpected. And in the future, in, in all the Gospels, he doesn't step into a situation threatening. But he always is a threat. It's the piece of the Gospel we may not like. We often say it and put it in terms of, you know, the Gospel is offensive. The good news of it can be offensive because it is threatening. That where God is threatening, where Jesus is a threat, is when we want to rule our own lives. Like Herod, when we want to be king and we want to be in charge and we don't want to give it up and we become jealous, we become, I, I want to be in control of everything. Jesus becomes threatening to our sin. When he makes the statement after healing someone or doing something, you know, go and sin no more. Doesn't mean if you ever sin, you're going to lose it. But, it, but if you sin again, you've you got to repent of that and acknowledge that. The, God, we've said before, God always wants to transform us and draw us closer to, to him. And it's our faith strengthened that whether we like it or not, it's threatening. But Jesus doesn't initiate being threatening. He it's, it's grace and it's invitation and it's God's love poured out for you, but it becomes a threat if you refuse to surrender to it. If you demand your own way, if you demand to stay in your sin, if you part of our world that just demands to do its own thing, operate out of its own wisdom and knowledge, it, Jesus becomes threatening. You see that in the life of the disciples. Eventually, most of them are martyred. Rome begins to try to persecute and wipe out the church because it's threatening. And you see it throughout history. When you see nations who jockey for power, who want to control the world, one of the things they want to eliminate usually is the church because it's a threat to that. That one of the ways when, when God shows up you, you can look in the revivals throughout Scripture and throughout history. When God has a way of showing up in the world, one of the things that you can know that this is of God is when people begin confessing and repenting of their sin. Because it's a threat. 
the glory of God showing up is a threat to how we want to go our own way, do our own thing, commit our own sin, be in charge of our own world, be our own God, or create our own gods. That's paganism at its core. And the one true God just threatens that. It's a threat to the enemy. It is a threat to the darkness. It's a threat to the evil powers and this world. That's what Paul talks about, the principalities and powers. That It's a threat to that. Whether Jesus means to or not, it, 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 the invitation in the heart of God is acknowledge and surrender. And so one of the ways that that Joseph can realize through this miraculous thing of bringing these magi that also God is in this because God's grace goes first. These are unexpected for them to come to his house and seek him, worship Jesus, but it's also it's threatening. It's a threaten, threatening to someone in power who refuses to give it up in a moment when, right after this, when he gets a dream saying, you need to flee because Herod is threatened. He's going to want to kill him. That's a biblical principle there. Every knee will bow. It's what we're told in Scripture. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You just get the invitation to do it now or you're going to have to do it later. The lordship of God is always threatening to our own lordship and our own control and our own desire to be Lord of our own lives. Well, then the, the final way that I think Joseph may have gotten, gotten a glimpse of God's hand in this is certainly the whole thing. The dreams, and it requires faith. It just does. And as we've said before, faith and doubt can go hand in hand. The only thing that's the opposite of faith is certainty. That, that there is some openness to, I don't know how God's going to do this. I'm not sure. But here is a glimpse where, where Joseph, as we've said before, we get moments, we get glimpses to where you can just see and experience God's faithfulness. I heard the other day that you know maybe the, the, the gifts that were given here by, by the Magi fund the move to Egypt. Maybe so. It would cost to move to Egypt and live in Egypt. And maybe the, these gifts that were given would be able to fund that. And God knew what was going to happen. But also in these gifts, we see, you know, their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You've heard that before. Gold for a king, frankincense for, you know, a, a priest, and myrrh to anoint his body for, for burial. That just right here you see the glimpse of God's faithfulness, how he's going to change the world. is by being the king and by being the high priest that will intervene on our behalf before God and also being the sacrifice on our behalf. But you see God's faithfulness here. And the point is that... Joseph is given this moment of understanding God's faithfulness so that the next part, when he has to flee Egypt, he will trust God to follow. 
So I invite us to hear this message from Scripture and to hear it in this story and be reminded And as we go into this new year in those moments that we need to see, is God in this? Yes. Now we can know is because God's grace goes first. All the unexpectedness of the Scripture of who God uses. I, I'm amazed all the time that God has would, would use me to do anything because I feel so unworthy. That's how God works. And God can use and work and love and invitation is to anyone. But you need to know also it's it's threatening to our own sin, our own dark side, our own evil to work in us, our own desire to be in control. That, that's a threat to that. He, God wants us to let go of that. That is part of following and surrendering. That's how God is at work in it. But trust all the time as you go in, because there are going to be moments this year that you're going to need to just cling to the promise. You may not see it, but you're going to need to cling to the fact that God is faithful. So I think this story speaks volumes about how God is working for Joseph to hear and to see this is the story lets Joseph know it was worth it and it's going to be worth it this is the glimpse he gets into God's faithfulness so may we read it that way and I, I wanted to as we go into this new year often United Methodist churches Methodist churches but it's something I, I like and often keep copy of of it in my house during the year, this Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. And John Wesley, who out of the Wesleyan Revival began the, the, the Wesleyan movement, gets labeled as Methodism. But it's just the work of God that was unexpected. And there's so many, you read his journals, the ways God worked unexpectedly. <clears throat> but this is his covenant prayer that often we use at the beginning of the year to kind of enter into and remind ourselves of the covenant to God. So as we close today on this first Sunday of 2022, I want to close with this prayer. And you, you, can, you can Google it, Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, and, and print it out and put it in your house maybe. But let us pray. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth may be ratified in heaven. Amen. May that be our prayer. That may be our response into this covenant relationship with God in this new year.
Happy New Year.